to begin this week's episode of the Electronic Wireless Show with an appeal to um, to what? Yeah, <laughs> to the to, to the Discord channel that is attached to this podcast. I would like to request humbly that they please, <laughs> please leave the discussion of sandwich taxonomy behind. <laughs> It's been months now. It's starting to feel like World War One. <laughs> isn't that on? Isn't on us for having not come come up with a better talking point than sandwiches? But we have. We keep trying. Well, the people have sp- they've spoken. They've spoken at length. <laughs> Great. And I respect it. I really do. But like, I keep going in there to see what people are chatting about, and it's just. Like an ogre chases me out with a broom made out of sandwich chat. <laughs> There's so much of it, I can't get through it all. Listener to the Electronic Wireless Show, episode 141. This is Rock Paper Shotgun's PC gaming podcast, and the only podcast you need, in my opinion, which is that of Alice Bell. And I'm joined this week, somewhat predictably, I feel, by Poirot. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. And the dog or commissioner. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing the dog commissioner is from that. Dog detective thing. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm. I supervise the dog police. That's good. That's some good, uh, good thinking on your feet there. Yeah. I'm also a hound. Uh, right. Good. <laughs> That's all there is to me. Yep. Very good. Uh, I love it. I love improv. <laughs> yes. Um... I thought that was a deeply well-rounded bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and you may be able to tell from those theme names that this week the uh, theme is uh, best mysteries in games, which was actually a suggestion from the Discord in between all the sandwich chat. Which um, I don't really hate or anything. Promise. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd put it to bed, but it seems to have only worsened. The sandwich was. It makes me think of like, you know, a sort of uh, satirical cartoon where it will have two banks of soldiers lined up on either side and then they'll, they each of them will have flags with like a different form of sandwich on them. You know? Mm. Oh, sandwich was. If only it were that easy to, to boil down, but it would be the flags would have like, like, Different philosophies of systematization on them. <laughs> if you could go back in time and assassinate yourself before you start the sandwich war, would you do it? 
No, I would go back and I would just like kick off the Earl of Sandwich's hands. <laughs> oh right. Oh, you'd go really far back in history. I mean, that so, could really ripple out. So that sandwiches were never invented. Yeah, I'd be happy to be marooned in the 17th century, 18th century. It's fine, you know. Assassinating yourself is like the safest thing you can do. Because if you assassinated yourself, you can then just replace yourself. I'm not certain that statement holds water. Assassinating (laughs) yourself is the safest thing you could do. Well, it is, because it means you wouldn't be changing anyone else's history, because you could then just reenact what you remembered from the last couple of weeks. And history as it is today would be pretty secure. I think that works. Uh, Yeah. But it depends what model of causality you're using. You might just burst. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. That's. that's, And actually, let's absolutely leg it away from this because a big debate will start up about like time travel mechanics. Well, well, I mean, (laughs) I'm now wondering if the Earl of Sandwich ever did anything else. Of any note oh. that you'd have to keep him alive for, like was he a really pivotal person in any kind of political or or military campaigns or anything like that? I don't know. The Hang only on, thing I know I'm, about him is his food thing. I'm rapidly Wikipediaing him to see what havoc I'd cause. So, um, <laughs> oh, of course, there's millions, aren't there? Who's the one who invented the bloody sandwich? That's the only one that that matters. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Do you know, the Wikipedia page is so pompous, there's not a note of sandwiches. I bet this is maintained by the earldom of Sandwich. Mm. And they don't want any of that, like, crude snack chat. Yeah. Did you... Dynastic history. Did you guys see the thing where a... The... the, So, you know, there's, like, a, a, a version of Wikipedia in Scots... Yeah. In the language, Scott. Uh, and it's often pointed to as evidence that uh, it's a made-up language that is just English in a slightly funny language because that's what the Scots version of Wikipedia kind of is uh, or right. was. And then it was uncovered by someone, like a Scottish person, who does actually you know, speak Scots and is involved in kind of keeping the language alive, that almost... Almost all of the Scots version Wikipedia articles were written by uh, an American uh, teenager <laughs> who started <laughs> who started doing it when he was like fifteen. So it's, and, and he's a furry as well. So this like oh man, Is what a lord! Was, was he being sincere? Was it or was yeah, it just he a was, giant laugh? He was being sincere, but he also had absolutely no knowledge of the uh, language whatsoever. And he he'd oh. started doing it and sort of learned from the people who were doing it before. Then they all sort of left, but they were none of them actually. I think properly spoke Scots, and this kid just became like the preeminent translator. And it was just I think a bunch of not Scottish people translating it. Um, and so, like, it's stuff like, um, so you know when as a, someone might say and or, as in like, and all of. Yeah. Right. Um, that, that was how they translated every single instance of all. So if you said, like, someone was the king of Scotland and all England, it would say king of Scotland and and all England. <laughs> 
Oh no. Stuff like that. It was just terrible. And it sounds like he might be one of those fellows who enjoys the documentary Braveheart. In, indeed. Like, it's one of those things that is simultaneously um, really awful because I think someone said, like, it's not an exaggeration to say that this person is, like, has done more damage to the language than almost anyone in history since the English. But um, yeah. it, it's got it's to gotta be closely contested by the pronunciation video industry on youtube yeah because that's just a load of people just pronouncing words wrong and you're like well it's on youtube i guess it's legit and some of them are just off i think every country should have to like create an official online like mm. de- depository of, of how you see but that you can go to and it's like yes this is like this is france has t- signed off on this this is how you pronounce these words because otherwise it's Americans sort of having a go at it and yeah. you think, is that right? Um, but, so it like, it's awful. But at the same time, uh, the sentence, uh, a teenage American furry is uh, technically the most published Scots writer <laughs> in, in history is a f- is a very funny sentence, you know? There is some chaotic beauty to that, yeah. Uh, but uh, thank, thankfully, a, a lot of uh, actual native Scots speakers uh, started. It's a huge task, uh, but I think they started an effort to rewrite it and correct it and make it real. Um, so I hope those efforts are continuing and going well. I suppose well, yeah, it's like you ever find the best, like best proper tidying jobs you do in rooms of your house is is where, like you know. The cat poos everywhere, or or worse, you know. And you're like, oh, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. This has galvanised me to sort this whole thing out. It's like that, <laughs> but with a language. Your cat pooed everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> Actually, no. He's he's very he's, he is sick a lot. Oh, oh, Matthew had a, a sick cat incident just yesterday, didn't you? Oh, it cut its paw. It looked like because it left like bloody paw prints, actually very mystery esque um, through the house. <laughs> I see. Don't jump in early with the segue. Uh, sorry, I apologise. That was good. I get ahead of myself. That was good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and left some like bloody paw prints on Catherine as well. Um, and we kind of fret too much with the cats. Um, we always have, and like our first instinct is to is to you know ring the vet's emergency line but if you ring the vet's emergency line those appointments are like mega expensive so every yeah. time you're trying to weigh up is this like an emergency expensive appointment or do we think the cat can sustain the pain <laughs> for a cheaper appointment <laughs> um which is a really like depressing sort of dilemma to have to but you know it, this stuff's expensive and it was like absolutely nothing at all like complete complete waste of time cost 50 quid and i just can't help but see 50 quid is just as a unit is is a video game in my head <laughs> so you're like well that's that's a video game we're not buying because you know the cat had the tiniest dink like if a child had that kind of cut you wouldn't think anything of it but for some reason a cat who i would say in the grand scheme of things less important than a child um yeah we're like quick Let's go and let's go and hand over fifty quid for like five minutes of a vet going. Yeah, that's nothing. 
It, it did make me laugh because Catherine was like, "Oh, thank goodness, it, it turned out to be fine. It's really, yeah, thank, <laughs> thank goodness." And then, and then you were like, "Oh, what a ra- fifty quid for nothing? What a racket!" Rather than well, like, <laughs> I felt I felt bad because uh, today, um, I don't know if you ever read Adrian Charles's terrible columns in the Guardian, but his terrible column today was like. My dog had a cough and it cost me 80 quid. And I thought, oh, no. (laughs) I've entered entered the child's zone. (laughs) I felt very seen. I was like, oh, I retract that tweet. (laughs) Imagine if the Twilight Zone had been the the child's zone. (laughs) Every episode is just a variation on the theme of a man realising... He's completely in sync with Charles. But oh, just those columns, Sli- they, listen- are the, they are the worst. Listening to the radio and then thinking, oh, music these days is just all bloops and bleeps, isn't it? <laughs> it's not even as spicy as that. Like his column headers are things like, oh, barbecues are good, aren't they? And things like that. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, was, was he the man who like attacked Shrek? No, nothing, no. no. No, nothing as spicy as that. Hello and welcome to Anthony Hopkins' Terrible Frights. Tonight, the story of a man with a poorly cat. (laughs) And an opinion he didn't expect that he shared. (laughs) You might want to sit yourself down. This one's a real frightener. Has Anthony Hopkins ever been in a Poirot? Or did he reach fame too quickly? Yeah, too famous. He'd be good in a Poirot. Did a lot of people guest star in Poirot's? Oh, so many. Over the, yeah. Well, the, the really hilarious um, sort of Christie fact, TV adaptation fact, is that um, the quite hardcore director Nicholas Winding Refn of Drive fame and other kind of, you know, quite full-on things uh, used to direct Miss Marple for ITV. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sure is a fact. Yeah, that's a fact. So Kaji- was... you know, he's like Kaji- he's like Kojima's, you know, favorite director, isn't he? Because he does all those sort of quite kind of bleak, you know, you know, cool pulsing electro soundtracks while people get their faces smashed in with hammers. <laughs> but he started off on Marple. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and speaking of, that wasn't a very d- delicate segue. It's just so like, eh, Poirot. Uh, the the theme this week is the best mysteries in games. So without further ado, we've had quite a bit of ado this week, but without any more ado, let's move on to that. I know some of you are filling out bingo cards, so I'm going to jump straight in with, but what is a mystery? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a good point. because there are games that are, you know, whodunits, basically. And then there are games that have a mystery as a side quest within or, you know, things like that. So I think we can, we can be quite broad and inclusive. Yeah, hmm. I certainly will be. You won't get me talking about detectives. <laughs> but this was, I mean, what's, what's the Matthew equivalent of Nate Bait? Um, Matthew Kibble. 
he'd like kibble as well because it's quite dry, isn't it? Yeah, I always roast my cat for just eating like uniform beige pellets. And I feel it's very much the same energy with which I roast Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I have got a very beige diet, it is true. Uh, I'm but- just eating um I'm just eating a Rennie at the moment. Um because <laughs> because uh I got heartburn from a very spicy bowl of wait for it, shreddies. <laughs> I caramba. <laughs> I mean, I should probably go to a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Half man, half brand. <laughs> oh, we're through the child's door now. Are we? Yeah. <laughs> Shreddy should calm down. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I say. I just got a heartburn from these shreddies. It's like if Nate was doing a sarcastic impression of you. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry about your burning heart, though. Oh, cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kylo Rennie's over here. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Ah, it's fine. Uh, it's fine. Uh, it's not that... right, though, is it? <clears throat> Go, as a treat, then, Matthew. Go on, give us a mystery. Oh, well, I don't like all mysteries. Um, Return of the Oberdin is a good mystery game. Oh, Return of the Obra didn't see that one coming. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, know. I... this is the problem. Like, I feel like we've definitely done best detectives, haven't we? I don't no. know. It's just someone said best mysteries in the the um, Discord, and I was like, "That's good." No, yeah. I would have remembered not enjoying it. I would have noted it down in my book of grudges. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Oberdin is a good mystery because it's a boat and no one's on it, and everyone should be on it. That's a good mystery. I'd say I like that mystery because it's it's an exceptionally large mm. mystery. You That's know, the one you do on an etcher sketch, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, looks, it looks a bit like that. I like um, it because you've got a Bernard's watch, but for death. Yeah, basically. And you What's use it to work watch? out what happened to 60 sad sailors. All right, pause for a second. Do you not know what Bernard's watch is, Nate? No. Bernard's watch is a... I, don't, I, I imagine it probably came from a series of books for children, but um, it was a cartoon and this, uh, I would say, um, annoying... Annoyingly, kind of uh, chipper child called Bernard uh, has a magic watch that uh, he can use to stop time, <laughs> and he oh. gets into all sorts of scrapes. Um, yeah, but in Obradin, you can use it to so you ba- you find a lot of corpses, and then uh, you can use your uh, Bernard's watch of death to go to. The instant at which the person died, and you see the and sort of horrible kind of tableau. Yeah. yeah. What What are you playing at? Some sort of you're in a, astral you're a, you're figure. A, you're like a insurance investigator, or the equivalent of in the time period. So you're there trying to sort of sign off on what happened to this boat, so they yeah. can get their money back. Were they given magical 
clocks. Well, this yeah, one was. Yeah, it's not remarked upon the magical element of it, really. Like there is. Well, I mean, it's a su- it's kind of a supernatural world because a lot of the stuff that happens to the boat is like sea monsters and things. Yeah. Oh, hang on, sea monsters. Oh yeah, you yeah, like yeah, it. yeah. That that's what I mean. It's oh, I sort of spoil it now. Sorry. <laughs> it kind of starts off with like, oh, this is just going to be mutiny, but then yeah, very quickly it goes into like, oh. Oh my god! This isn't mutiny at all. This is something something terrible and evil has happened on this boat. Oh I, yeah, I remember. I this. thought it was going to be something incredibly boring. No, no, it's it's really cursed, and it's like the, the <laughs> weird the weird thing is the um because the scenes are like frozen. You never see anyone moving. You never see any of these characters like alive. You just and and the monsters themselves are kind of you know they oh, don't tell me don't tell no, me no 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 what, 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 I the, the, now. the things that happen the scenes are like super chaotic and in those sort of frozen moments like they can sometimes be quite hard to pass but it's really really effective because you just fill in all the gaps and it's it's like you're getting mm. like a sort of a slideshow of of what happened to a boat over several days and it's you know it's just when you put it all together it's just really what they had a really wild time <laughs> it it's oh. really it like there's a bit where I remember specifically, so you get on board and then you do the first few deaths because you have a big log of like 60 names and then you have an image, like an illustration drawn by the this guy who was there as like a painter basically. Um, and you have to match the names to the faces. And if you get th- three, is it three or five? Right. It's, I think it's groups of three. Uh, it's been a while since I've played it. If you get three right, then they lock in. So you don't know that you've got one right until you get three right, basically. Um, and so the first few are quite easy. And then you find the next corpse uh, and you walk outside the cabin and just go, what? Because <laughs> the tableau <laughs> in front of you is just suddenly so outlandish. And it's I remember got, it's just being this... like, Jesus. <laughs> it's got wow. this like super devilish music as well played on like ship's bells it's yeah really good. okay really this good. is comp- i mean i'm an idiot because like i knew next to nothing about the game but can conduct you know like constructed quite an in-depth but entirely spurious like idea of what the game was in my head which was just about like sullen bosuns and things. I mean, there's a couple of them. In yeah, the mix. there's not. Oh, there's yeah, not none sullen bosuns. It was like wild. It, yeah. Oh, it's great. It, I mean, the the events are wild, but you piece them together in quite, I suppose, a methodical, sedate way because it's not you don't. It's not happening to you, and you. It's sort of like a snapshot each time, and. I think uh, in the Eurogame review, uh, Donlan referred to it as nautical murder Sudoku because it does have that kind of energy to it where you're kind of cross-referencing stuff and people go at it different ways. Was it you, Matthew, who said like, you started looking at people's shoes? because uh, That was a bit of it, but there's, 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 I, I know other people who've done like, yeah, big sh- like shoe-based play of like working out who everyone was and their sort of... Um, their sort of stature on the crew by like the different shoes they were wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like you're off again now. <laughs> <laughs> Shudoku sounds pretty bloody slow. <laughs> it's exciting. No, it is. It is good. Cause you're just trying, you know, some of the people, there's so little left of them that you don't, you know, trying to identify them is a bit of a nightmare. Um, and it's, 
it, the, the, the way you input your findings is you kind of put the character's name and then there's all these um, verbs of like basically dying and hurting yourself verbs. And when you look at those, that gives you an idea of like <laughs> kind of how wild the game's going to be because you think it's going to be like, you know, shot, stabbed and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you start getting into sort of like, you know, skewered and sort of... Crushed. Crushed. Uh, and like bludgeoned and all this kind of stuff. It's just all sort of like oh, a list nice of horrible, again. horrible C words. Um, not I'm those sure C words. I'm sure one is like... <laughs> it, S-E-A you words. You bunch of horrible C words. <laughs> no, the S-E-A words. <laughs> the Sergeant Major there. <laughs> right, I've bought Return of the Obra Den. Oh, yeah. okay. Good, good mystery. Just done it. I've done a Dishonored. And gone and bought the first game we talk about. <laughs> you'll like it. I, th- I think I actually think it has got big Nate energy. I think you'll like it. It has been recommended to me by a load of people, but for some reason it, that always like drives me away from something. It was our game of the year the year it came out. I think it's very very good. Um, uh, I'll let you know what I think on yeah. The, we'll return the to the podcast it next after week. I finish it. Yeah. Um, and I was going to say Aubrey as well because I. I think it's fantastic in many, many ways. Um, just a, an excellent, an excellent game. Um, I was going to say uh, Unavowed as well, which is a point and click uh, mystery by Wajitai Games. Um, and it's it, it, like Wajitai did um, the Blackwell uh, games as well and it they're sort of supernatural um kind of sp- i guess speculative fiction because it's set in like our world but you know ghosts and demons are real kind of thing um and in unavowed you uh become part of a team of kind of um i guess like monster pinkertons kind of like uh <laughs> Uh, so there's like a fire mage and... Is that Pinkertons who hunt monsters or monsters who serve as Pinkertons? Sort of both, I guess. Okay. I'm imagining so- like the bad guy basketball team from Space Jam, but dressed as like burly <laughs> 1870s man. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but you, um, you get possessed uh, at the start of the game and you can choose where, what, kind of your starting character was so you can be like a bartender or a, a I think a cop um or I think an actor I can't remember um and you can take you could basically have like a, a team of three whenever you go out to solve a kind of supernatural mystery um and the te- the, the depending on the team you have it can really change how you uncover the mystery and what solutions to puzzles you have so there is, um, uh, if if you're, I think if you're the ex-cop type, then you, I think you have a gun and you can, you know, shoot a window that you need to break to get through. Um, but uh, if you don't have the ex-cop, uh, you can like throw a brick or like try and find a key. I think so. There are like different solutions. <sighs> it really changes the game. It's really good, really clever. Mm. That, okay, that's different from most point and clicks because that's one of the things I don't like about them. That you're basically just just jamming 
random blocks mm. into randomly shaped holes until one is is the one that will advance you. Whereas if you've got, yeah, some different ways things could pan out. God, that makes it replayable as well. Lovely yeah, very idea. replayable. And there's one um, character who has, uh, you, who if you have him on your team, you can see ghosts around the place and talk to them and they'll tell you stuff that's going on. So it's really good. It's, um, like, it's like the divinity of point and click games. Yeah, let's say that. Um, and I think it's one of those games, like if you don't like point and click games, because I think it's a genre where if you know you don't like them, then you know you don't like them and that's fine because they always have a very similar set of you know mechanics and, and how you interact with the world and stuff. And I think if you don't like them, then give Annabelle a shout because I think you, it's a game that could maybe turn you on to them or that you'd enjoy even if you're not a big point and click fan. I, I would also put a shout out along similar lines, though. <clears throat> it kind of goes in the other direction. Um, the the Dark Side Detective games, which yeah, I only recently played. But what I loved about them was they they were kind of like point and click games, but kind of super sort of streamlined and simplified, so that you know, like you don't move around the scenes. For example, each room of the the you know every location is static, and the detective just stands there. She just kind of click on stuff. Um, it, the actual locations themselves are, you know, are quite self-contained stories. So there may be like eight to ten rooms each. There's, there's not like it basically like kind of cutting down the scale of it. There's less room for kind of confusion and that kind of trying everything on everything bagginess that kind of seeps into the rest of it. I thought they, I thought they were really, really good. Um, I came mm. to them quite late. I only, I only played the first one because the sequel came out recently. Um, but I was really taken with them. I felt like they. They had all the good bits from point and click games and, and none of the flab. Yeah. Ooh. They're um, a small uh, Irish uh, indie studio, I think. And I think that also contributes it uh, to it being um, very funny. Yeah. Because I, I found like the Irish, I think, have a sense of humour that's much closer to mine than um, Americans. I just kind of don't get also, a sense of humour. That's a very broad, I've, someone will complain, but... I found, I found kind of like not maybe a bit of a generation to say like newer point and click games, but like people who grew up playing point and click games got quite a nerdy sense of humour, and then they go on to make point and click games and sometimes get a bit wrong, you know, like all the protagonists are just like aggressively snarky about everything, mm -hmm. and it's really kind of sniffy. It's like sniffy, like geek humour. And this doesn't have any of that. This is actually like they're very, very charming, it's genuinely funny. But the the characters aren't just withering about everything. It isn't just like a sort of you know it hasn't been written by some sort of snide loner, which I think a lot of these games kind of have. Your withering's uh, the word, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, Nate, well, how are you choosing to define mystery for this? The purposes of this podcast. Oh, very simply, Alice's. Something you don't know and you need to find out and you're compelled to find out right. through deduction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just like in Factorio. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had to clear my throat. That wasn't some weird, like, um, Cyril Sneer laugh. <laughs> my subversion of the theme. Uh, no, I find... Because, yeah, as, as I bang on about endlessly, I'm not, I'm just not really compelled by whodunits and stuff because I never care who done it. 
it's just sad someone's dead, but we should all move on. Um, <laughs> what, and, and let the guilty party just go free? Well, yeah. Oh, God. I'd love to see a detective series where you are the detective with that attitude. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'd just go off and, like, make a really interesting paludarium or something. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, so I, I, I miss that compulsion, but I was thinking, okay, well, where do, where do I feel that need to know what has happened and, and untangle that from an obfuscated set of, of circumstances, uh, where, you know, where it's not immediately clear. And I thought uh, Factorio is a really good example. Um, so it's a, a factory game uh, where it's top down and you put down hundreds of little components like conveyor belts and ore miners and boilers and things um, to make stuff that is then automatically loaded by arms and things onto further things to make more complex stuff. Eventually, you make a spaceship. Mm. And a lot of the game is spent, like, frightening numbers of hours are spent pootling your little engineer around this map, assembling these huge production lines. And, you know, they can span screens and screens and screens. And it's really painstaking stuff. You put a lot of effort into planning, making sure there's room for everything and the right bits align and stuff. And then you switch it all on or you connect up this huge bank of machinery expecting like, oh, I don't know, copper eggs to come spewing out of the other side and nothing happens. And you just don't know why. And you look at the most obvious thing, like, oh, have I forgotten to, you know, to actually connect to the final conveyor belt? And you have, you know, it's there, it's fine. And you can end up, like, painstakingly and miserably taking your entire contraption apart piece by piece or following it back through different stages of complexity until you realize that you accidentally moved a rock two miles away, which got in the way of the, I don't know, the, the steam flowing to a, a turbine, which then shorted out the electricity that stopped the auto loaders putting uranium onto a train so the reactor <laughs> on the other end wasn't fueled so you had one unit less electricity than you needed to you know and etc 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 in this long chain of hole in my bucket bollocks <laughs> and it's you know i when i am in a situation like that i am like a furious detective in one of those films where like one of their close family has been binned by the murderer and they've like you know, they're, they're not going to rest until they brought this killer to justice. You see, when in our like little chats that we have before we record the podcast, you mentioned sort of, you did mention like mysteries and strategy games. I thought it was going to be like you're playing Project Planet Zoo and everyone's unhappy and you trace it back to like there's a dead monkey in a bin or something. <laughs> I mean, that too, actually. <laughs> that's to be that's fair. kind of. That's kind of what I envision, but that's a bit more technical. There's more stages to that than I thought there was going to be. I'll admit the idea is a lot more compelling than I thought it was going to be. 
it does happen in Planet Zoo and stuff, but yeah, the, the mystery there, as you say, is usually, oh, what's that that limp primate shape surrounded <laughs> yeah. by uh, by filth? Oh, that'll be a dead ape, and everyone's has, upset about it. Has anyone ever actually tried turning that process you just described into a game? Because I'd be I'd be quite into something where you came into like a fully made thing, and it's like, why isn't this working? And you have to fix it. Um, well, I guess a lot of uh, city builder scenarios are like that. Um, I often think like campaigns and city builders and management games are quite unimaginative because um, they just give you most campaign camp- campaigns champagne. <laughs> most campaigns boil down to an increasingly large series of empty rooms where you have slightly more components each time mm. to create a thing that achieves the bullet points that have been demanded of you. Whereas, yeah, I, I like it in the rare instances where they've designed a setup that's just balked and not very efficient, and you have to troubleshoot it. There, there was one of those in that Jurassic World game, like the third island you move into is like a busted Jurassic World because yes. they, basic, they basically built just like like 10 restaurants and a T-Rex and that's it. <laughs> and, it's, it's just, and then you have to like go in and, go in and sort it out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good example, actually. Yeah. They've like forgotten to make any power plants. Yeah. Ma- they've hired, you know, the, the massive bloke, uh, Dennis Nedry from the first Jurassic Park as the CEO. So he did <laughs> such a good job at the opening ceremony. They just like swing a wrecking ball through the electric fences. <laughs> and in the, in the next park, it's run by just that arm that she finds in the <laughs> power station. Samuel L. Jackson's <laughs> arm. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. It's like, you thought that last one was tough. <laughs> now meet the financial director. <laughs> it's a bloody T-Rex. I, I feel like troubleshooting poor management isn't the same as a mystery. Oh, solving I, a mystery. I, I don't know. I thought it was quite a compelling case for it. I'm sure there's a lot of consultants who would loudly disagree with you. <laughs> but it's not, it's, uh, not, it's not really a mystery, is it? Like you turn up and usually the problems are quite apparent, are they not? Like, I mean, if you turned up and, and the place was being run by Samuel L. Jackson's arm, you'd be like, well, there's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, in, in, in edge cases, certainly. Yeah. But no, I mean, like, Complex systems have complex problems. And I, I love, there's a real thrill in not knowing. Like, okay, you like games with um, supply chains, like um, Foundation and stuff, innit? Yeah. Like, where bread is a, a multi stage process. And, like, I don't know, I haven't played Foundation, but I know in a lot of games like that, uh, well, in fact, Factoria is a supply chain game, but this happened a fair bit in, like, Pharaoh and stuff as well. Where, oh, actually, great example would be Nebuchadnezzar, the like Mesopotamian pharaoh, like that came out a couple of months ago, and that's yeah. Quite often, I would just you know that thing where your whole city just sort of collapses and everyone's moving out, and you're like, but what happened? And it'll be yeah, because like one road somewhere was one block too short. I don't, I don't think that's the same. I'm willing to sort of give you Factorio, but I don't think like 
a scenario in a management game. And it's because where... even a culprit, there's that aha moment <laughs> where you spot the bakery where you've only employed nah. three people rather than the maximum <laughs> four. Like... And the thing is, the culprit's always you. <laughs> it's like Batman just sadly carting himself to Arkham every time. No, no, I like. Uh, to me, a, a mystery is a like it's a it's a story where you like you are given uh kind of six pieces of like a ten piece puzzle kind of thing, and then maybe later on you'll get the seventh piece, and you have to figure out what the shape of the other three are. You know, like it's I. I, Hello, I'm, I'm enjoying... Anthony Hopkins, and welcome to my Hills to Die On. <laughs> no, I, I, I think what you're saying is valid if you're defining a mystery as something hermetic and whole that has been decided on, like as a you know, as a sealed narrative written by someone else that you have to break into. Mm. Whereas I'm saying a mystery can be something generated by processes and and rules. Like yeah. I'm saying a mystery can be procedurally procedurally generated. I'm I see where you're coming from, but for me it's similar to the sandwich debate in that my you know, my ultimate test would be if I went somewhere and ordered a sandwich, would I get a sandwich oh, yeah. kind of thing. And for me, like uh, if if I put on like ITV3 and it was like, now welcome to our murder mystery afternoons. First up, it's Antiques Roadshow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A cog has fallen out of joint. Yeah. In this I, 10 I do, mile wide wasteland of production equipment. I, I do think mysteries, mystery games are better and are getting better um, because people are. Uh, kind of loosening up, you know, while they are these sort of sealed kind of sealed sort of stories, they're kind of loosening up kind of what happens within them, like mm. in Oberdin, where you just have all this information. I thought recently Paradise Killer did it really well. Where oh, Paradise Killer was excellent. Because it's there, you know, it's this big open world city. There are just hundreds of clues, but the order you find them in is not prescribed at all, which in traditional more traditional like detective stories and mystery games they definitely are because they have the structure of like mystery novels where there is a breadcrumb trail mm. but here what i really liked was that what you found totally changed or influenced how you felt about the mystery and you could find something you know quite key early on which would kind of put you but then you'd find some stuff later which would sort of push you in a different direction the the nature of the clues were very cleverly done in order to to sort of flip the mystery on itself. Like that, there are there are points in that game where it could legitimately be a lot of different people, and it keeps a lot of people in play, which I really like. Just as a general rule in any kind of mystery story or detective fiction or whatever. Um, but there, it was it was yeah, super fun. This sort of sense of um, this sort of story that kept changing based on what you knew about it. Um, it's sort of similar in a way to what like Sam Barlow does in like her story or mm. um, telling, was it telling lies? I think it was the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Where like, you know, the words you, you grip onto and the avenues you take can sort of change and your perspective will change as you get further <laughs> into it. But your, 
your progress isn't scripted through it. I think her story uh, was a bit more ambiguous because I I found something that I like early on. I was like, oh, I seem to have solved the whole thing in the first five minutes. But then you go back and you find out more stuff, and you're like, oh, did I? Uh, and I mean that 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 that's the only like downside of it. It's a bit of a gamble that someone could happen onto like the absolute, you know, the the smoking gun in the first thing, and then everything else is just like you know, ten hours of collecting red herrings, <laughs> yeah, and which, you're like, well, I know it's this. So it, it's that is sadly what happened with me in uh, telling lies is that I found like basically the the final clip. Oh <laughs> like, right, on like my third search, and I was like, oh okay, well. Or just blind luck, or were you just very, very, very insightful? No, insightful. I just, I, um, I kind of, I think, approach it maybe a bit more methodically. So I like every word in the first clip, or like the second or something. I searched one after the other rather than daisy chaining to other things. I was like, right. I should do the first things first. See, and then- see the problem. The problem I had with her story was I, I even though it is ambiguous, there's there's a couple of like quite key things which once you know it kind of opens it up and kind mm. of it like help it basically helps tie it all together. And I did hit one of those super early because and I search I wasn't searching necessarily for words because I didn't really know how I was meant to play it. I wasn't searching for words that they were saying. I thought like you know. Like one of the early words I typed in, this is a bit of a spoiler alert, so don't type this one in for yourself, was just alibi. Um, but I don't know why I typed that in because, you know, the structure of the sentences, you wouldn't ever say, well, my alibi is this. But for some reason, <laughs> I typed in alibi. And lo and behold, like the first thing was like, yes, this is, this is what happened, you know, to have an alibi. And you were like, oh, okay. Well, that's that then. <laughs> um, but I'm I don't know if that's just if my that's... brain being weird. <laughs> Genius on your part or bad design? Uh, I don't know. I just thought like it was quite an obvious crime word that you might naturally reach for. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think it's bad design to like not account for Matthew Castle being. I'm just gonna go through my list of crime words and my <laughs> other list of c words. You're both so <laughs> chillingly methodical. Like, well, I think it's the more you engage with these sorts of stories, I guess the the more you sort of no it's like um i played a puzzle game that involved going through arches to make different things happen uh and uh, and it was like a demo kind of like it was a, a gamescom build and i was playing it with the developer and i came to uh, a level that had like three arches in it so i immediately went through all three of them and then it, like solved the puzzle and he was like well how did you know you needed to go through that one and i was like well because you put it there so so is it a bit like cryptic crosswords, where like if you see one solve, see someone solve one for the first time, you think they're like an intellectual titan, until you realise that actually getting really good at cryptic crosswords is just getting really, really, really familiar with a set of rules and conventions the setters have. I don't know because I I find cryptic crosswords yeah far too I cannot engage with them at all. Yeah, oh, I, I refuse when, to. When people explain them to me, I instantly um, bookmark that person as being irritating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh god, all right. Yeah, there was a bit in uh, this book. I listened to the audiobook of uh, Rather Weird, and there's a, a person in it that really likes cryptic crosswords. And there's a bit where a bunch of people sat around at dinner, and like the answer to a cryptic crossword 
clue is like a big part of the thing and everyone's worked it out apart from like the PE teacher who it's implied is like a big thicky and he can't work out the cryptic crossword Ugh. clue. And it says something like uh, everyone around the table looked at him a bit, you know, uh, sad, feeling sorry for him. And I was like, well, I don't understand the clue either. You no. It's like it's like the people who are really good at Scrabble because they've remembered all the nonsense two word terms that you're allowed to use in Scrabble. It's just memorizing like nonsense rules. I don't think it's a sign of intellectual might. Yeah, I mean that's also about half of the British education system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just memorizing things and showing that you're good at repeating stuff that you've been told rather than thinking. Yeah. But there you go. Well, I mean like we do have a chance now for you two to prove well, your you're intellectual might. Charles zone there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've absolutely childed the flip out. <laughs> King Charles the first. Uh, I was trying to do a segue to the Cavern of Lies, but <laughs> sorry, spare, uh, you're, spare you're the royal spoil the Charles. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god, I don't think we can do Adrian Child's merch, can we? That's because people just—if you wear an Adrian Child's t-shirt, people think you just ironically really love Adrian Child. Smiles for Childs, <laughs> Giles for Miles. <laughs> <laughs> or like the Twilight Zone door, but it just says "Prepare to Enter the Childs." <laughs> <sighs> Sweet Childs of mine. Oh god. Oh. Okay, anyway. Can you please do take a, us to the cavern. Can you give me a sting for the cavern of lies, please? Adrian Charles <laughs> of Lies in a cavern. Okay, let's, let's try again. <laughs> the cavern of lies. Thank you. Really ruined the vibe going into this cavern. <laughs> oh, sorry. Because now you're going to be picturing like the set of the one show. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah, it is, but it's like haunted and dilapidated. Let's say. Well, no, actually, you've uh, found yourselves. It is a it is a cavern, but if you go through the store here, uh, you found yourselves in a well appointed nineteen. Uh, 19- Let's say 1930s, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, drawing room. Ooh. Uh, and you you rush in and you you see Hercule Poirot, but like <laughs> uh, the kind of slightly wonky illustrated one from all the uh, Poirot hidden object games. Oh, okay. And he's like, he's like, there's been. In murder. Oh yes, I'm, re- then, I'm into this. And then, but then you realise it's his murder because he dies in your arms, and there's a, a dagger in his chest. <gasps> oh, oh. dead. Oh god. Yeah. Criminals are going to celebrate across the world. Yeah. This is but, like when Bane broke Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that. And you realise it must inheritance disputes. It it must have been one of the people standing around him. Uh, and what you've got to do is that they're all, they're all killers. They're all kind of criminals from, from video games. Uh, and one of them 
is actually just a murderer who has killed Poirot and he's tried to disguise himself hastily among the group. Wait, so this killer's, this killer's scheme is to disguise himself as a killer? Yeah, but like an intellectual property that you can't lock in jail. Oh, yeah. So we'll think he's fictional and let him go. Yeah. yeah but Oh, yeah. I see. <laughs> I like this. I get to do some proper detecting. I mean, don't interrogate me too hard because I don't necessarily know a lot beyond what I could find oh, okay. On, okay. on Wikipedia's on the internet. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's something criminals famously say in the interrogation room. Yeah. Listen, don't interrogate me too hard because I may get shaky on some <laughs> yeah. details. Okay. So. Uh, so there's how many are there? One, two, three. There are five, and one of them is okay, a fake, and you have to unmask the phony. Okay, all um, right. So, uh, let's start with uh, Dennis. <laughs> all right, Dennis, who are you? Uh, so Dennis is uh from the. Can you answer the main character like we're doing an actual investigation? No, Dennis is. <laughs> Dennis is from the Whistleblower DLC for Outlast, which is the kind of uh, survival horror game set in a uh, semi-abandoned, um, uh, I guess, asylum. Uh, and the games are famous for their sensitive depiction of people <laughs> with <laughs> mental health problems. <laughs> uh, but he's he's kind of an early on uh antagonist uh, a minor antagonist i'd say um and uh the protagonist uh Waylon, he falls through a roof into the attic where into an attic um where Dennis lives Dennis has a dissociative identity disorder but like the cartoon version that you see in like criminal minds and stuff oh, um that's my favorite kind so uh, he has four uh, personalities, uh, a brother uh, called Timmy, an older brother, uh, their father and their grandfather. Uh, mm. All four personalities are active at once and will Ooh. talk to each other. And uh, Dennis chases you as the protagonist because he wants to um, sort of sacrifice you to the, the main antagonist so that he doesn't get attacked by Goskin. Right. That sounds pretty legit to me. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean... Nothing rang my bells. Okay, uh, let's move on. So, uh, next is Horst. uh, H-O-R-S-T. He is a troll. uh, A kind of uh, sort of Godfather-esque criminal um, from the uh, 90s uh, Discworld game, Ooh. Discworld Noir, which is a kind of takeoff of the kind of Philip Marlowe, Sam Spade type, yeah. Humphrey Bogart uh, kind of films. Um, uh, and uh, he, yeah, he's, just a, he's uh, a baddie. He's uh, kind of he's trying to get a duel, which is like a big... Um, MacGuffin in the game, and uh, he's about to he's kill. Probably voiced your by girlfriend. Rob Brydon if yeah. he's in those games. <laughs> I was going to say so. All, all the 
almost all the uh, voices in Discworld Noir are done by Rob Brydon, uh, Robert Llewellyn, and Nigel Planer. Yeah. Is that so? I yeah, know that. the Discworld yeah. games have got like powerful 90s BBC2 comedy energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, the trolls in Discworld are usually named after types of rock. Ooh. And horse just sounds like, you know, slang for how lethargic you are after you've consumed a horse. How? Oh, horse. I think it sort of sounds like a noise you make when you're doing like an exaggerated, I'm going to be sick noise. Horse! (laughs) I like that. Mm. I I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, you've got to remember, this isn't a Pratchett original. This is a... Yeah, but I mean, trolls have a naming convention. Mm. I I suppose detritus, well, that's a geological term. It might, it might yeah. be a geological term. It might be a reference to, I don't know, Casablanca or something. I don't know. Oh, actually, there are millions of rocks. So, okay. All right. <laughs> I, I um, don't know. Has he got a, like, a gangster hat? I can't remember. <laughs> Fair enough. I remember this Sorry. game is definitely like things you know from Discworld, but kind of dressed up in that noir style. So like the piano player in the bar is like a vampire and things yeah. like that. I don't remember. I don't remember a troll, but I just don't remember the specifics of the game in general. All right, who's next in our lineup? Uh, so next we've got uh, Maxim Thorndrop, who is uh, a killer from the one of my favourite games, Arcanum, which I've mentioned so many times before. Um, and Arcanum has a few little mysteries in it, which is one of the reasons I like it. But um, so Maxim Thorndrop is the son of William Thorndrop, who is um, a member of the Halcyon, uh, I guess cult is the word. And they're all about like, um, uh, what's the word? Not reparations, but like making up for terrible things you've done. What's the word for that? Uh, Making amends. Repenting. Repentance. Oh yeah, atonement. Yeah, yeah like all, atonement. All yeah. So they're about really extreme repentance. Um, and so after uh, Maxim was born, because Thorndrop used to be like a bandit, um, his dad Thorndrop, and uh, so after he was born, uh, Maxim's dad joined this order, and I guess it was kind of terrible for his son. Anyway, so you turn up at Ashbury, which is like a port town, and members of the cult of like the lead the leader of the cult tells you like mem- like members of our cult have, have been found dead so you go and investigate the scene and then you go and interview william and then uh eventually you find out that it's his son who's been killing them mm. this kind of revenge on his father or his upbringing i guess i mean just from a strategy point of view the old this one's from a game that i know really well and you guys i think you guys don't know is it that's a classic cave strategy or it's definitely no, no, a castle no. strategy i would say yeah it's a classic castle strategy and it also <laughs> hasn't worked out stench. for you so. it's got the stench of divinity on it yeah I, I was like do you know what i'm gonna do that thing that matthew does that we always rumble him for <laughs> well maybe you're double bluffing it and i don't know see i actually tuned out a little bit during that one because it seemed very like a mystery plot but it's also is... so detailed it's got it's got the i don't know it's got it's, she remembered it so well 
And I, wonder I, if I, I, I think the fact I disengaged from it <clears throat> is probably uh, I, actually a hallmark mm. of its... I'm not remembering it. I'm reading <laughs> it off the Arcane and Wiki, which is, mm. as games like Arcane do, it's very detailed because people love it. Okay, well, I don't know. That's the one I'm the least convinced of so far. All right. Okay. Um, all right. And we've got, uh, albeit, um, I think, well, I'd, I'm pronouncing that how it's spelt, but it, he is a murderer from Sherlock Holmes, the devil's daughter. And he's the killer in uh, the second case, which is called A Study in Green, where Holmes goes to win a bulls tournament. Uh, and then he goes back the next day and someone's been murdered by a statue throwing a spear. Um, and it turns out to be all related to, um, like, a, I think a Mayan expedition that took place years ago. And Holmes works this out by finding a detailed model of the temple that they went to and imagineering what had happened by looking really hard at the uh, the model. Mm. I've played this game and I think that is true. All right. I definitely <laughs> remember some nonsense with the Mayan temple. Yeah. Oh, that was, well. I, I, I chose this case because it's the silliest one, I think, in the game. It does sound very silly, Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, but what you also have to consider is that uh, there are, I think, like three or four potential murderers for uh, for every case. So I could have just made one up. I haven't, though. I just don't know how to say his name. I'm going with Matthew on this one. He seemed to have a very strong instinct. So I'm going to crouch behind him going, yeah, get him, boss. There's one left. <clears throat> there's one left. Come on, then. Um, <clears throat> all right. So this is from the Vampire Diaries point and click game from 96. Um, and it's uh, based on the books. So before the TV series came out, um, and it's done by the it's the same sort of frame as the Nancy the Nancy Drew mysteries that came out around the same time, so it's the same um, interface and some of the same mechanics are used. Um, and you are Elena, and you attend a gallery opening uh, where you meet Mikhail, who has a comical German accent. Uh, immediately marking him out as probably the bad guy. And indeed he is. It was he who attacked your sister. Um, and you're surprised to learn that many people in the town that you grew up in or are living in with your aunt are vampires, including Mikhail. And you have to do a, a weird kind of like very complex series of looking at the floor and remembering the sigils to say in the right order thing. And then he'll sort of explode in a ball of flame. Uh, and then you can go and go out with Stefan, who's also a vampire. Hmm. This is a deep cut. <sighs> Didn't expect vampires to yeah. swerve in Did you there. play this game? Me no. no, I didn't. Oh. It's just an interesting one to reach for, is all. Well, I mean, that's up to you, isn't it? I don't know. I'm, t I'm, t I'm telling you, I've, I've got a feeling about the Arcanum one. But that was like the driest of the lot. 
Yeah, it had it just had too it was too thought out for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> Makes too right. much sense. That really felt like it had been read off a wiki though. Hmm. Well, I, I can do some work. William has a sad life story to share with the player character. He was once a reckless gun user and became a bandit. Mm. Afterwards, he began a personal regime of extreme repentance. To help him with his hermit lifestyle, he had his thumbs and index fingers intentionally amputated. What was his name again? So the, the, the dad's name is William Thorndrop, and then the son is Maxim Thorndrop. Okay. Thorndrop. <sighs> oh, gee, I feel really lost at sea here, mate. I'd be inclined to lamp the troll, but just because it's the only thing I really comprehend. Mm. And that's, that's not a good, good way to carry on. I might, I'm, I might have to rush it because the, the fellas are getting a bit antsy and they're all, oh. they want to leave. And they're, as you know, they are all killers. So if you don't... Oh, they might kill us. Yeah. <laughs> are you leaning... Oh, this is, this is actually really difficult. Uh... You know, Matthew, after Batman, you're the world's greatest detective okay. in my eyes. <laughs> Like I'm going to provide you moral support. I'm th- going to make you a nice he's, porridge he's, bolognese. I think he's I th- so bad at lying himself that he's good at rooting out the lies of others. I think I th- I th- I think actually you're right. That the, the Wikipedia read is is too slick on the Arcanum. Um, it's too real, man. It's too real. Oh God, I, the vampire one's too weird to make up. I, I think the Sherlock Holmes one is real. I think I've played that. So it's got to be the troll or the, the, the man in the attic with multiple, who thinks he's his own granddad. This one's ice cold, isn't it? Yeah, this is tough. They're all, they all sound like legit. Look, I'll tell you what, I'm not hoping for a career in mystery deduction like <laughs> you are. So how about I just lamp the troll Wait, and hang if on. I die... Did you just say Matthew's hoping for a career in mystery deduction? Are you joining the cops, Matthew? <laughs> <laughs> I know he's going to be a PI, isn't it? That does oh, yeah, feel course, like yeah. my final form, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but like, you'll go from like not being a policeman to then immediately like the guy who's too old for this and is is like behind the desk and like longs for retirement on a show called King of the Castle. Yeah. Oh my god, I'd watch it because <laughs> there is already a show called Castle, isn't there? Yeah, it's ended. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, Matthew, unless. Unless you reckon it's the, the other one, the granddad man. Let's let's go for let's go for the troll. All right, mate. You you're not a real troll. You're a murder. How how uh, are you going to try and? Are you going to? I was going to say, how are you going to try and kill him? I didn't tell you how to kill him. He's made them. of rock. It's... Should we like hit him with a sledgehammer or something? I've got <laughs> this crowbar that my mate Gordon lent me. I'm gonna jam it in the back of his neck and then jump on it like a cartoon character so his head <laughs> comes flying off. <laughs> nice. So we've decapitated uh, Horst. Uh, I'm afraid you haven't. The uh, your weapons bounce off him, maybe take a few chips off, but he is a real troll. Oh. Oh no. Uh, well, that's uh, me. I'm a goner. And uh, yeah, Nate is thrown to the floor. And crushed uh, under Horst's mighty feet. Um, and Matthew, you better get out of there quickly because Maxim Thorndrop pulls off his hastily cobbled together oh. Edwardian garb. You son of a bitch! Oh, really? I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. Yeah, it was, I'm afraid. 
Oh, uh, damn it. Did you make that up out of whole cloth? What, the William Thorndop is real and then I just completely made up a son and a mystery. Oh, you oh, built you on devil. a foundation. Mm. Smart. Thanks. That's one of the classics, isn't it? Oh, God. Yeah, I sorry, wish Matthew, I'd done that. Yeah, you know what, Matthew? You were on to me, but you'd better oh, get out of here I quickly. Up and then out, and I helped my partner try and cleave a troll's head <laughs> off instead. <laughs> but he's a criminal troll, so it doesn't, you know. Yeah, he's technically yeah, I mean, a monster, so it was a righteous act. Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay to kill the wrong. Uh, but quick, get out of here before Max well, stabs you through the throat. See you, Matthew. Bye. Fun cavern. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I died. You did die. Sorry. Good murderers. I was, was devious. It took it was me a good time. It took me about an hour to look up. I was like, because ah. I was like, I need to. I, I was like. I know Matthew will have played a lot of the same games as me. Oh, smart. So I, I, like even the Sherlock Holmes one, I was like, I know you'll definitely have played this, but I, I'll pick someone that I feel like you probably have forgotten. I like how the cavern's heating up. Yeah. It's, it's getting competitive. It's like the volcano of lies. <laughs> uh, the volcano of Childs. Um <laughs> But thank you very much. You nearly, nearly had me, Matthew. I was like, oh, oh. God, because you, you straight away were like, that sounds fake. And I was like, oh, no, it's so soon. Oh, well. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't have the thorn drop. And that's the other thing. His name is actually Thorn Dop, and I said it wrong the first time, so then I had to be really careful whenever I said it again. Oh, right. And I didn't have his Wikipedia enter open, so I had to really quietly type. You were arguing. (laughs) Like, if Tiger Gangsters had, uh, you know, the ability to access Wikipedia in the interrogation room, I think that those interviews would play out differently. But I was, I was typing like my mum does when she's sending a text, just like one, one letter at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Very clever. Uh, I was I was criminal myself then. I felt really bad. It, f- it felt like that one hurt, Matthew. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can live with it. But thank you very much for joining us for this episode of the Electronic Wireless Show. Uh, and it's time now for us to do our recommendations, which uh, every week we recommend something that is not a video game. Uh, I have something prepared. Do you do you lads have something prepared? Yeah. Yes. What have you got this week then, Matthew? Let's start with you. Uh, so, surprise, surprise, it's another crime novel. Slightly different one, this. This is uh, The Evidence by Christopher Priest. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, a sort of sci-fi fantasy writer. More sci-fi. Wrote The Prestige, on which the film is based. Um, brilliant, brilliant writer. Um, I've lo- loved his books for a long time. But his last one was about a, a crime writer who gets invited to an island in the Dream Archipelago, which is kind of like the setting for several of his books where they allegedly have no crime and they invite him as a sort of an exotic you know, writer because they don't have crime there, which you know, the book goes into how that can be. And he tries solving a, you know, how do you sort of solve a mystery when there is no crime? Mm. It's, uh, it's good. It's interesting. Like quite a fun sort of sci-fi twist on it, but also grounded with good characters, as is the Christopher Priest way. Um, I felt like the book was actually just an opportunity for him to grumble a lot about how rough authors get treated when they go to <laughs> book festivals. Because there's a lot of complaining about that, which I liked. 
Excellent. Uh, Nate, what have you got this week? I bring you a recommendation from someone else. Um, this actually, uh, I've decided to give you a recommendation on behalf of Ashley because she seemed to enjoy it so much. Um, she's been obsessed with K-dramas recently. Um, there's a huge boom in big, meaty Korean drama series uh, popping off at the moment, and she's really been knee-deep in them. And there's one that she tried to explain to me over dinner, and she's really enjoyed it, so it is legitimately good. But her attempt to summarise the plot amused me so much that I thought I would pass it on. Mm. Okay. Um, they, they all... I mean, they're very gripping, but every K-drama she tries to explain to me sounds a little bit like she's trying to explain a dream. And this right. one particularly, it's called Memories of the Alhambra. And it's about these <laughs> They've got an AR game that you play with contact lenses that makes you think there's conquistadors everywhere. <laughs> 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 and I think someone's mate dies and ends up haunting the game, but they're not a conquistador. And there's corporate espionage and trips to Spain. And yeah, it, it, a lot happens. They pack a lot in. Big meaty episodes and a lot of them are more conquistadors than you could shake an augmented reality stick at, which is indeed what the characters spend quite a lot of their time doing. Um, you know, it, it is all a bit, if you die in the game, you die in real life. Mm. There's loads of sort of, there's loads of very, very convoluted rules about how the setting works, mm. that it constantly breaks. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just, it, it seemed a riot. She's, uh, she's been having a grand old time with it. So, uh, from Ashley, my wife, I give you memories of, of the Alhambra. God, I nearly did Borat voice there. <laughs> oh, have you seen that? There's a really good like Twitter video. Well, uh, I'll link it below, but it's a very good Borat, my wife joke. I know that sounds like it won't be, no. but it is. <laughs> no, I believe you. Um, that sounds very interesting, Nate. Thank you very much. My recommendation this week is also a book. Um, I believe it's a debut because uh, I went um, into town and because shops and things have opened up a, a little bit more now. Uh, I went into a bookshop and I lost the run of myself and got so excited and I bought a bunch of hardback books, um, brand new babies, um, because as well, a lot of them have sprayed edges and I love a sprayed edge on a book. I love a good sprayed edge. I think they're really cool and this one has a really lovely cover and a really lovely spray edge and it's called the lamplighters by emma stone x um stone with an x on the end it's a brilliant last name and it's sort of a mystery but not really it's sort of a mystery part mystery part ghost story uh it says that on the cover actually sj watson's quote for it is a mystery a love story and a ghost story all at once um it's about um these three lighthouse keepers uh who one day in uh 1972 uh just disappear from the lighthouse uh so their relief boat turns up and the lighthouse is locked the clocks are stopped at like 8 45 and there's no one there the dinner table's laid um but they're all gone 
uh, and yeah, so the the book is about kind of what happened to them, but it's not a mystery. It's not someone investigating. It's just the story being gradually told and things are uncovered. And it's quite sad in a way. It's it's melancholic, but it's got really lovely kind of uh, descriptions of the sea and loneliness and all this kind of stuff. And it's very intriguing and a bit spooky and just a very, very cool book that I'm, I've enjoyed a lot. So that's my recommendation this week. Um, yeah, but for now, it's time to say goodbye until next week. Um, so this is episode 141 of the Electronic Wireless Show, the best mysteries in games. If you have uh, some recommendations for subjects you'd like us to cover, or if you want to get involved in the sandwich chat, <laughs> then no. you, can, you can join the Discord. You can also look up Rock Paper Shotgun on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, we're on YouTube as well. Um, but for obviously all your PC gaming news, go to rockpapershotgun.com. Um, and don't forget to check out our other podcast as well. There's another one that Matthew's on. If you like, if you want more child's chat, then uh, mm. check out the PC Gaming Week Spot, which is the sort of current events newsy show uh, that comes out every Monday. And there's also uh, now we it was called the Warzone Audio Bang, and now it's called Ultimate Audio Bang. And it's just about shooters and and uh, competitive shooters in general. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so hose pipe full of war jammed right in your ear. Hose pipe full of war jammed right in your ear. Um, so don't forget to check out those as well. Um, but as I said, for your PC gaming needs, go to www.rockpapershotgun.com. Um, and until next week, it's goodbye from me, Alice Bell. It's goodbye from Poirot. <laughs> A goodbye. Au revoir. <laughs> it's goodbye from the dog commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.